The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by entrepreneurship expert Clint Day. Clint is the author of Understanding Lean Startup, Evidence-Based Entrepreneurship. Referring to himself as a serial entrepreneur, he founded three insurance companies in Florida and Georgia, which he ran for a total of about three decades. Clint is a trainer and mentor for the Florida Veterans Entrepreneurship Program. He joins us virtually from Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to talk about what Lean Startup is, otherwise known as evidence-based entrepreneurship, and how implementing this methodology can dramatically increase the chances that your business will succeed. Clint, welcome to the show. Thank you. So given your roles as a business owner, trainer, mentor, and author, it's clear that you've been living and breathing entrepreneurship for a long time. That's true. I was actually raised in the house of an entrepreneur. My dad was a commercial insurance broker in downtown San Francisco, so he preached it as a kid. I don't think I had much of a choice. You had the seeds planted. Yes. Well, I want to say before we get a little bit more into what Lean Startup is, that I love the dedication in your book, and I just want to read it quickly because I think it offers such a wonderful spirit that... It's so important to reflect in entrepreneurship. It says, to the next generation of game changers who will improve life, employ thousands, and help the underprivileged. Which seems to really reflect the importance of the Lean Startup approach, that it's all connected to the value that we can offer to meet the, the needs of our environment. Right, and one of the wonderful trends or the millennials and the younger generation is they're very socially minded. They're trying, you know, well over 30, 35% of them are trying to create something that helps mankind, you know, better, better the world. And they're doing stuff like, uh, water and, uh, medical, uh, assistance in Africa and, and some really, uh, some really good things that do help all the people. And, you know, in the old days, it might have been 10 or 15% of the overall efforts. Today, it's well above 30. Well above 30% of efforts have to do with some kind of connection to a a social contribution? Correct. Something to better the life of others. My most favorite example is out of Babson, a place I studied entrepreneurship, which is kind of considered the collegiate headquarters for entrepreneurship in in Boston. And they had a student there who was uh, really wanting to do something in energy, and he had this electric car idea. His professor just couldn't see its feasibility. It just, just won't work. So they came up with this idea of a trash compactor that ran on solar energy. And, you know, the rest is history. They created a thing called the... Uh, uh, oh, God, i got to think of it. But anyway, they, they created a solar-powered trash compactor that's now all over the world. And I've seen it in the, the Trinity Commons in Dublin and the city of Philadelphia has bought like 500 and its benefit is you don't use the diesel trucks to come pick up the trash and you know they compact it like there's one tenth as many pickups and there's no energy uh, required to make it work. It's all done on solar paneling. Well, that sounds like a good lead into this conversation about what Lean Startup is. Well, I, the, the best way to explain it 
is that for many years, 45, 50 years, all business schools taught traditional business planning. And that's a very common seven-section, maybe an inch or two thick document that may have taken a year, a year and a half to to write. It had an executive summary and a financial pro forma and, you know, um, some description of what your idea was. But basically the research was done on secondary research. And before the Internet, it was in the library. And it didn't really um, touch the end user. And so when Silicon Valley got rolling out in California, they had a lot of imaginative technology inventions. You can just imagine just the Google search engine as a, as a start. And this one guy by the name of Steve Blank, that's an important name, Steve Blank started eight startups out there, and I think five of them went public, so he's very successful. And in the process, he found some things in common. And when he finished and sold his eighth business called The Epiphany, which is a customer service kind of business, he wrote a book called The uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany. And this was like as recently as 2002 or three. That's, that's how far back Lean Startup can possibly go. It's very recent. And he sort of wrote down the things that were in common in all his businesses that enabled them to find a market and be successful. And essentially, it's called the customer development methodology. And what it does is it goes to the end user, the person that you think will be the one that's going to use your product and has a problem to be solved or some sort of a demand. And you just constantly talk to them using this tool we'll get into later called the business model canvas or the canvas. It's a one-sheet, nine-section tool. And you just keep asking them questions about the idea you have and how it might fit or not fit their particular need or problem. And over the process of many, many interviews, you have to do several, uh, you, you end up making something that's either going to be a great aid to them and be in demand or something that's just not going to work, and you do what's called pivot and go on to something else. I know in your book you, you describe it as applying a scientific method of validating the product market fit so that you don't wind up investing in a product that you then have to revise or let go of altogether. Exactly. In, in the old days, you could spend, you know, a year and a half writing this traditional business plan, and you might even get some bank uh, loan, you know, maybe $100,000, $200,000 before you launch, and then fall flat on your face. There was no market for your idea. It just was a poorly conceived uh, product or service. And the, the historic example is the dog food that Alpo came out with that was scientifically engineered in a kitchen, a dog kitchen, and they finally got the product to market a year and a half later, and the dogs wouldn't touch it. You know, they'd snip it and walk away. So it was a total and complete flop. <laughs> and, you know, the obvious answer was, you know, be, do a little tasting along the way as you develop your product. And, and that's what Lean Startup does. And so, essentially, you've got an, uh, the, the course that's taught now by the National Science Foundation called i and that Steve Blank teaches at Berkeley, Stanford, and Columbia is called the Lean Launchpad. And they'll have a 16-week uh, semester with teams of like six or seven people each and, you know, maybe ten of them. And these teams have to start with an idea and bring it to fruition. And it's merciless. They'll make them go out and talk to their end user, say it's a tech idea, and go talk to, you know, the people in the technology industry. As many as 16 weeks straight, and one class had a requirement of 400 interviews. Now, that's brutal. Students just at first can't stand it, but they soon get used to rejection and talking to people. And sure enough, if you talk to them that much, they tell you exactly what they need and what's wrong, what's right with what your idea is. And so it's proven to be very successful. And if you do get to the point where you have something that has high demand, you haven't spent the farm. You know, you haven't hired a lot of people. You haven't spent a lot of borrowed money yet before you scale. But once you know you have something that could be um, in demand, then you can start adding some money and hiring some people and know with some degree of certainty it's going to work. You also talk about the challenge of starting a business with a business plan, that the business plan requires certain projections that if you don't have that frame of reference 
of having validated that product or service market fit and having some experience also in that business, it can be very hard to make the projections that the business plan asks for. Well, isn't that the truth? Now, most, so many people are successful in entrepreneurship that actually worked in it first. Me, for example, I worked for large national insurance brokers to learn the trade before I went on my own. But uh, it really helps to know what your product is and the nuances. You know, what, you can't possibly break into this large pipeline of commerce out there without some niche. You know, you have to have a little tiny niche product or service that's going to be targeted to a very small segment of the market, and that's the only way you can crack in. So the business model canvas can create that niche, and I don't know if you're ready to get into it, but as I said, there's nine blocks on one sheet of paper. It was invented by two business consultants in Switzerland. Alexander Osterweiler is the primary person. And what they did is they did a long-term study of the businesses they consulted, and they broke it down into nine areas to be able to analyze and help a business. And the first of the two nine blocks, or customer segment number one, you have to know who you're going to try and help and who your customer is. And there's all sorts of books written on this. You study their persona, you know, their, a day in their life. What are, what are their uh, traits? What are their uh, habits? Stuff like that. And then the second thing is your idea. What, what are you going to... What are you going to create to that um, to that customer segment in terms of a value? All um, entrepreneurship is creation of value. I'm afraid that's probably my phone. I'll let it go. And so, when you actually create a value, you're um, then going to the customer segment to try and find a fit. And they call just the relationship between these two blocks: value proposition and customer segment, the product market fit. And we make students stay on that particular relationship for weeks until they get it right. Because once you have those two uh, firmly connected and, they, and they're, you know, sparking together, well, then you can really expand. You have something that will work. So a lot of this work with the business model canvas is done to achieve a product market fit. Clint, I want to backtrack for a moment before we go further into the steps of the business model canvas since we were talking about the comparison between lean startup and the business planning process, just to put in perspective, though, in your book, you do suggest that there is a time and a place to introduce the business plan. And that's a little bit later on. So would you talk a little bit about that? Yes, there's a there's kind of a controversy in the entrepreneurship field about this, but I think most people agree with me. You don't need a 15-page business plan, but at some point you might need a five- or a six-page business plan after your idea is clicking. And the reason is at some point you will have to go to a, a lender and present yourself for a loan or some venture capital, and at that point you've got to have a document to show them. And that's a business plan. Secondly, when you start to hire people, you want some sort of a standard operating procedure they can read to understand the operation and, and use as a training uh, manual. And so a shortened, abbreviated business model canvas is still, you know, recommended, even though you're using the lean startup method and not a traditional plan in any way. But it comes later, and if you look at a financing cycle on early-stage business, somewhere between the first and the second stage when you start to know you have a valid concept, the very famous break-even point, you know, when you start to uh, make money and actually uh, cover your expenses, well, that's about when you're going to need, a, if not before, uh, an abbreviated uh, traditional business plan, yes. Once you have validated the product or service market fit and you're starting to build momentum and generate some business, so you're kind of on your way is when then you can introduce that business plan. Yes, and it's uh, it's kind of a little different document than the original one, but, you know, you don't have to go into the depth that you might in pro formas and the financial because the actual business model canvas has two of the nine sections that treat with revenue and costs. And so you've got that already in place. But, you know, you need to describe who the key people are and, you know, what your model is to make money so that, you know, if you went to get an SBA loan, the officer could understand the uh, concept behind your business. 
Clint, it's time for us to go to a quick commercial. So I'd love to go further into the business model canvas when we come back. So Clint will talk more about this primary tool through which Lean Startup helps businesses to identify products or services that meet market demands when we come back. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by entrepreneurship expert Clint Day. Clint talked about how Lean Startup, otherwise known as evidence-based entrepreneurship, is different from the traditional approach of creating a business plan when you're starting a new venture. This segment will focus on a topic that he started to talk about, which is the primary tool through which Lean Startup helps to position a business to succeed. It's called the Business Model Canvas. So, Clint, you talked about the first two steps of the business model or components of the business model canvas. Would you repeat that in summary and then walk us through the the nine different sections? Sure. I'm going to go in order. We encourage students to follow this order, which is, you know, number one, the customer segment. For whom are we solving the problem? What need are we fulfilling? And then knowing who the customer are, everything you can about their profile and their habits and their wants and needs. And then number two is the value proposition. Which one of our customers' problems are we helping to solve and what needs are we satisfying for them? But as I said, every entrepreneurship idea creates value. So, you know, you've got to define that to the, to the narrow segment of the customer. And that's the product market fit. You want to spend a lot of time so that you get that right. And from there, we go on to number three and four, which are essentially marketing. Number three are channels. Um, through which channels do our customer segments be reached? It could be the supermarket or it could be the Internet. And then relationships. How will we get, keep, and grow customers? Do we do it through referrals or do we do it through, uh, you know, uh, ads on the Internet and promotions? It's just, you know, your method of doing it. Number five is starting down to the bottom. And the very two bottom segments of the model are money. Number five is the revenue stream. Now, when we talk about money, and the one to its left, which is last, called cost structure. We're not talking about actual performance, like in a business plan and calculating the, the fine uh, dollars. We're talking about a model. So what is the revenue model? What are our pricing tactics for whatever we're going to sell? And what value are our customers willing to pay? So you might price per unit here, but you're not actually running the figures like you would on a traditional business plan. So um, you go to the revenue model and your pricing tactics next. Number six, you list key activities. What key activities do our value propositions require? And then number seven below that, key resources. What key resources? Here we're talking suppliers or, you know, resources do the value propositions require. I mean, this applies to a service as well as to a product. So you might just be needing people here or salespeople, something of that nature. 
And number eight on the far left-hand side is called key partners. Who are our key partners? You know, you're obviously going to need people to do business, and it could be your supplier, it could be your stakeholders, the people that are investing in your company, uh, it could be your employees. Key partners are a wide variety of people. And then finally, number eight on the bottom, the cost structure. What are the most important costs in our business model? Again, we're not getting specific uh, pro forma runs. We're just listing in order of importance the important costs in our business model. And we have a per unit cost on the right you can kind of play with. So in summary, it's value, it's customer segment one, value proposition two, channels and customer relations three and four, the revenue stream model five, and the key activities and key resources, six and seven, key partners, eight, and finally, cost structure, nine. But it's so funny that this is so well thought out. And if you get into analyzing a, an idea for a business or even an existing company, everything will fall into one of these nine blocks. Sometimes we get stymied and we ask the, the guys in Switzerland, okay, where does this belong? And they'll usually say, oh, it's outside the canvas. You know, it's off the chart. If it doesn't fit one of these, it doesn't exist. But uh, it's quite a, a very inventive uh, tool. And like I say, a class at Berkeley, you could go out and you could actually fill out one of these new every week for 16 weeks. So you come back, you've got 16 iterations or different versions of this business model canvas and the same idea. And you can see it evolve, you know, how you refine it by talking to the end user and come up with something much more valuable by the end of the 16 weeks than you started with. It's like creating a painting. There are so many sketches, bit. right, that go into it, or building a building, and you have all the different designs. So do you do those different like, iterations based on the customer feedback that you're getting that oh, invites you to yeah, redefine? I mean, what, you, what I need to bring in now is what you call the prototype, but they have an expression in Lean Startup called MVP, and it stands for Minimal Viable Product. And the notion is you just come up with some idea or even a, uh, a prototype model of something you're going to try and, and refine and make into your product, and you take that to the end user, which is also called an early adopter, and you let them work on it with you and improve it and make it... Uh, you know, more uh, valuable. Uh, if you go to the Stanford Engineering School in Palo Alto, in the lobby of the engineering department, they have a glass-encased prototype in Legos of the original Google search engine. And sure enough, those, those uh, two Google boys had a, uh, you know, a, a prototype in Legos of the device that they created to start searching. It was very primitive and very crude at first. But as you know, it became extremely... Um, efficient and, and bounced all the other search engines out of the field. But you need to have this minimum viable product to go to the end user with to start talking about your, your canvas and, and answering these nine sections. So, Clint, you talk about this extensive process of inviting customer feedback, having interviews and asking questions. How, do you have any tips that you can offer on that process? What are the different ways that people can approach this? Oh, it's so important to get this right because uh, you want to learn how to ask open-ended questions. You know, just as a simple example, uh, what's the hardest part of your day? You're talking to a manufacturing um, factory, and what's the hardest part of your day? What do you, you know, what what's difficult about what you're doing here? And and then they start to open up and explain it. And I had a lot of trouble helping my students find these open-ended questions, and so. There is a guy out there, I want to give you a couple of references as we go through this, by the name of Mike Fishbin, F-I-S-H-B-E-I-N, who has a blog site, and he has an ultimate list of customer development questions, and this process is called the customer development process, and um, and he, he gives you a lot of, of starting questions for each section of the canvas, you know, each one of these nine blocks is you kind of come at it from a different point of view. And you can Google him and find uh, some very good um, examples of what, what to ask. But you, wanna, you don't want to ever answer the question when you're asking the, an end user with Lean Startup. You want to you get him to talk and, and ask him very general questions so that he starts to explain his whole process. It's like leading the witness. 
Exactly. I think an attorney would be very good at leading a startup. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't want to lead the witness. It sounds like you're saying that you want not to manipulate the response that the oh, no. but, right, yeah, prospective customer is giving you. That's true. You wouldn't want to lead the witness. You want them to open up and, and surprise you with something. This seems like a very key piece, just like any scientific research that's done. There could be a lot of time spent just on validating questions to ask to ensure that you're actually going to get what it is that you're looking for. No question. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, Under customer segments, who are your most important customers? What are the customer archetypes? So what I want to do there is they want you to describe the profile of a customer. I mean, if it's someone that's buying tires, for example, you know, how often do they wear them out? And, you know, how large are their vehicles, school buses, trucks? And you want to get right into what their actual wants and, and, you know, demands are. And then under customer relations, how costly are, you know, um, some of the customer relationships you have now, how happy are you with them? Would you prefer a, a cheaper or a more valued product at, at a higher price? And you just kind of get in to ask them um, some of these uh, questions and their key resources. And as I said, if you were to Google Business Model Canvas on the uh, search engine, you would come up with all sorts of variations of this nine-block canvas and different questions under each block. What key resources do your value propositions require? What are your distribution channels and relationships with customers? So um, there's quite a specific uh, open-end group of questions for each block, and there's lots of references on the uh, Internet to, to find them. But I do recommend Mike Fishman's site. So you should Google then Mike Fishbean. It's F-I-S-H-B-E-I-N? Correct. The ultimate list of customer development questions. Right. It's a wonderful resource, and uh, it'll get you going in the right way. And one of the interesting things about going to talk to an end user is, in the introduction to entrepreneurship, all my students, and these are like community college freshmen, have to go out and interview an entrepreneur, and they're nervous. You know, it's the fear of rejection. But the most amazing thing is about someone who is an entrepreneur They're very open, more than willing to talk about what they've done and how they did it. So it's much easier to approach some of these people than people realize. They're they're usually uh, interested in talking about what they do, and rarely do you get turned down. You might have to work at their timing and come back when it's a more convenient uh, time of day or or the week. But you can access these people. They want to help you, and they want to improve what they're doing. It makes sense what you're saying. To be an entrepreneur, you have to be like an open system. You have to really be connected with the world, what's happening in the world. Put yourself out there in the world. Talk to people. And when people come to you asking questions, then you see also see them as resources. So entrepreneurs, I would guess, who are very successful tend to be have that openness to having those dialogues, as you're saying. Of course, there's as many entrepreneurs as there are types of personality, but you're absolutely correct. I mean, if you don't, if you have a, a sort of a reticent and introverted personality, you almost have to develop a little bit of an extroverted nature so that you can talk to a banker and talk to a supplier and maybe those first 20 customers. So what we make our students do is they don't like it a bit, but they get used to it. We make them get up in front of the class and present almost anything, homework, and they get assigned into teams because as we'll discover when we get into intrapreneurship, a lot of entrepreneurship is team uh, work. You, you actually have to have the synergy of several different people to be innovative and creative successfully. And so you've got to learn how to get along with other team members and, you know, to make yourself popular. And, and so we make these reticent students actually... And by the end of a semester, you know, they'll get up there and they'll just talk like crazy. It's just an acquired skill that everyone can eventually do. And by the way, they say entrepreneurs are made, not born. You can actually make an entrepreneur. That's very encouraging to know that all of these strengths can be developed. And the idea is that you're encouraging people to set themselves up to be successful at the onset by utilizing the tools that are available to almost anyone. 
Yeah, and you didn't have my other book, but I talk about some of the ingredients there for, um, you know, passion and desire. You'd be surprised how many people can actually develop a business and come up with an idea when they get fired up with passion. The other book is called Set Your Own Salary, and it's a guide to entrepreneurship and financial independence, telling my story and the story of many other entrepreneurs like uh, Jim Dyson, the vacuum cleaner guy, and Michael Dell, the computer guy, and my own insurance agencies to sort of illustrate the, the principles of entrepreneurship. So it's a fun read. Because, you know, I, I give specific examples. But uh, just as an example, my table of contents in that book starts out, Build Desire, Chapter 1. Chapter 2, Send Out a Cause. Chapter 3, Generate Ideas. And Chapter 4, Think Outside the Box. So you kind of have to develop what's called an entrepreneurial mindset to really get going. And, um, you know, if you can get passionate about what you want to do, some of that passion will just carry you right through the first miserable and hard year or two. I tell all my students, you be prepared to work 24-7 for a year or two, and then it'll get easier. But the first couple of years can be very challenging. you just got to have persistence. And Clint, I just want to underscore so that we're buying into and supporting everything that you're saying, that this really is, like you're saying, an evidence-based approach. And it's been found that using this Lean Startup methodology significantly increases the chances for success. So would you talk well, it, just for a minute about yes. that? Because we need to go to commercial. Yeah, the statistics are hard to come by, but those who have done it, like Steve Mike has done a little of this. Um, you know, an average business fails, 70% of average businesses fail within two years. But uh, the traditional business plan has been at least doubled. If you are genuinely successful with the lean startup approach and have a validated concept, that can be scaled and has a market demand, well, you increase your chances up to like 70% of success. So you just have to be very disciplined and stick with the principles of Lean Startup to make it truly work. But if you are and you do, it can double your chances for success. And those businesses, you know, 70% are there after uh, three or four years because you've got a market. You didn't spend a lot of money or hire employees until you validated this market. That's why they use the term evidence-based entrepreneurship. You've collected the evidence at the other end in a target segment market that definitely wants whatever you're offering. That's a huge effect. Great. So this is enticement to stay on into our third segment. We're going to go to a short commercial. When we come back, Clint will discuss another key component of Lean Startup, Agile Development, which has become key to facilitating innovation and problem-solving in large corporations. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with entrepreneurship expert Clint Day. Clint has been guiding us through the three components of Lean Startup. 
We talked about business model design using the business model canvas. We also discussed customer development. This final segment will focus on the third component of Lean Startup, Agile Development. Clint, would you walk us through how Agile Development facilitates innovation and problem solving? Sure. Um, It's sometimes also known as intrapreneurship when used in large corporations, but Eric Reese, R-I-E-S, was a student of Steve Blank's in his first class at Cal, Berkeley, and... um, he also came out of the tech industry and had sold out a couple of businesses. And he developed and actually wrote the, the original book, The Lean Startup, the concept of agile development. And what that is, is essentially using what's called a feedback loop. And, you know, you, you test early and you talk to your um, customer continually. And they call it adaptive, rapid adaptive building. But you build, you measure, and you learn, and you adjust. And so the concept of iteration, which is in Lean Startup, is constantly used in Agile development. Um, the Agile is a principled approach to a new product development. And what they do is they use the user stories, the people that they're working with, to convey what they want. So I use the example of the Uber rideshare, you know, they, as an example of Agile development. Travis Kalanick, the one of the two founding partners, he went out there and interviewed the black car drivers at the airports endlessly to see what their interest would be in his concept. And, you know, originally Uber was just these black cars picking and taking people to the airport, but it quickly iterated and developed. But what Eric Reese did in his agile uh, development concept is he added customer collaboration where you have the customer in the team and as I mentioned, anything in entrepreneurship will essentially involve a team. When you're starting a new business, you want to have as much synergy among your early uh, employees as possible. One person ideally would be in marketing. Another would be in accounting. A third one would be an engineer that understood the product. And if you can have those kind of special skills collaborate into a team, well, then you, you innovate in a, in a more dramatic fashion, and you create things you might not otherwise create. And that's what, uh, you know, happened with Uber. I mean, they came up with the idea of smaller cars and, um, you know, just uh, city driving and not, not just to the airport, and, and then they repeated themselves in other cities, and it just took off like wildfire because it had a business model that was really well thought out and well designed. And even now, I noticed in the news last night, some city is reaching a compromise. I believe it was here in Atlanta with the drivers at the airport, where as long as the Uber drivers will pay like $12 for the privilege of going to the airport, they'll let them in. That kind of makes them more competitive with the taxi cabs. But anyway, so the emphasis in agile engineering is to ideate, you know, and, and have speed. Build your minimum viable product quickly and then measure it and adjust it. Iterate, iterate. And what you do is you get into the thing and you go down there. You either persevere and, and make the Uber a better idea or you pivot and realize it's not going to work and you start over with something new. That can happen frequently. They say in Lean Startup, fail often and fail fast because <laughs> that's really progress. It sounds like you have a combination of improvisation and structure where... Exactly. You're proactively inviting change in response to what you're seeing in the market. And so you have this fluid experience of change and collaboration and creativity. And corporations have picked up on this, you know. The best way to look at uh, intra, I-N-T-R-A, entrepreneurship is an inside entrepreneur, inside a large company like General Electric or Coca-Cola, You use the creativity and innovation of entrepreneurship to improve products and results. And as an example, Coca-Cola is based here in Atlanta. About three years ago, they hired a vice president named David Butler for entrepreneurship. And what he does is he flies around to these branches and divisions and helps the teams on site improve, solve a problem or improve a product. And it's proven to be quite, uh, you know, uh, financially efficient. But this, this process really helps the company overall. So it's not unusual to find uh, inside companies, teams that can be called agile development teams 
And a good example is out in California, there's a complete business. It was on 60 Minutes one time called um, IDEO, I-D-E-O, started by a guy named Kelly. And Kelly's first client, or one of them, was Steve Jobs. And what he would do is you'd bring the idea you had to Kelly, and he would put a team on it. And, of course, the team would have a great engineer and a great marketer and a great accountant. And together they would create the synergy that could work through um, some of the early designs. And, and to this day, I think IDEO still does business with companies like Colgate Palmolive to, uh, to redesign toothbrushes and things as simple as that. Clint, how would you recommend to implement this in a startup or small organization? You suggested having a diverse team of people who play different roles in terms of their expertise, like an accountant and a marketer. What other recommendations do you have for agile development? Well, you still have to think in terms of the original entrepreneurship principles. And one of the most powerful ones ever is a mentor. As you probably know, in my book, I talk about having been mentored by um, successful insurance brokers who did commercial. And I learned so many ins and outs and secrets that, you know, would come up 10 years later as a solution to something that I was confronted with. So you want to mentor. And if you can possibly find someone that's been in the field that you're going to, you know, engage in for your service or product and put them on the team, you're going to be light years ahead. So you want to find someone that's familiar with the uh, activity. And sure, a lot of new business models are so revolutionary, you don't really have someone that's exactly done that, like Uber. But you probably could have brought in someone from Hertz, or if you could have hired an employee away that could tell you about rental uh, automobile market, you know, things that are roughly uh, related that you can, you can steal from. But the power is in talking to the customer and letting the customer help you design uh, what you're trying to give them by letting them share their stories with you. You know, when we were doing this on the factory floor, we, we and, you know, <laughs> some of the stories in entrepreneurship are just so entertaining. For instance, our buddy Jim Dyson, who's an engineer from England that invented the, the bagless vacuum cleaner, Jim was a tinkerer. He loved to uh, tinker with things, and he had to clean his flat in London one time, and the bag just blew up on him, and he said, there's got to be a better way to bring this stuff up and not have a bag, and and he invented the bagless vacuum cleaner, which was revolutionary, but there was so much um, built-in, um, what would you call it, um, prejudice against uh, the bag industry. It was huge. It was like 10 or $20 million a year and paying, you know, selling these bags to go in vacuum cleaners. But he actually had to you go around and do an end run, and he, he licensed this technology in Japan to make enough money to eventually sell it in England. So there's always more than one way to skin a cat. It's an interesting point that you're bringing up, and I know you brought this point up in your book, that you can have a really good idea. And then the question, though, of when it will sell and how well it will sell is still something different. It is. There's a lot of built-in, um, you know, uh, kinetic energy in some of these fields. They just don't want change. But if you build a better mousetrap, just look at some of these apps on the uh, smartphone and what they're doing you know, uh, through uh, digital innovation, uh, they're going to come use it. It's just people want to save time and they want to save money. And, and it's just, if you can build a better mousetrap, they're going to find you eventually. Is the pricing aspect also part of the customer feedback? Well, it's in agile development, it's called continuous improvement. I mean, you can... You know, they, if you can get them to explain a day in their life and some of the real problems they're having in their business, you can get a lot of aha moments, you know, of how to uh, cut through that and make life better for them. So Dyson did another thing. You know, everybody hated those uh, hand dryers in the movie theaters and the, the bathrooms that do away with paper towels. So he created the wand, W-A-N-D, where you stick your hands through it instead of under it. And it's so powerful, a couple of swipes, it dries your hands. So he could see there was a, a demand there for a better hair dryer, I mean, hand dryer, and, you know, and created that. He's just an amazing adaptive mind. And, you know, the other example I'll give you is Michael Dell, who was an undergraduate at the University of Texas. And everybody was buying computers ready-made in stores like Gateway and Hewlett Packard. And, and he came up with the idea of building computers on demand. 
that, look, we won't even build it until you design it. Tell us how many uh, RAMs you want and how many keyboards, and then we'll produce it and send it out to you in the mail. Well, you know, it was so successful of an idea that Dell Computers eliminated everyone, virtually. If you go into any uh, college these days, you know, where I spend time, they're all Dell Computers. <laughs> and that's an, an example of an entrepreneur. Yes. He actually had a little team in his dorm room of buddies at the University of Texas that helped, you know, put these kits together originally. He ran his first business out of his dorm room. Isn't that amazing? I like the comparison that you make where you say that entrepreneurs operate like greenhousers. Well, think about a greenhouse and, you know, how they, they garden and they play with plants and can improvement in a perfect setting. Well, when you speak uh, about an idea to an entrepreneur, they germate the idea. And even though they're working for a company, they take it home with them and they think about it and they tinker with it. And so they're, they're basically growing seeds of the idea in their own mind. So that's why they call them greenhousers. But, uh, the Agile development team would be the best example of entrepreneurs using the greenhouse concept. And even now, uh, Eric Reese has a conference every year in San Francisco in November, I believe, and it's called Startup Week, and he gets these people in there, and the audience will help design their product, but just all these innovative people listening to the speaker, and then they'll write things on a Three by five card and send it up in front of the room to get them to the next step. You know, there's just so many creative people in one room. You offer so many resources, and I'll talk a little bit about those resources to help people. And our conversation today is really a springboard to offer a framework and entice everyone to utilize the resources that are available. Is there anything else that you'd want to add about agile development? Uh, let me think in terms of. Uh, intrapreneurship. We may not have spent enough time on that, but any of these activities inside a large corporation, they're essentially using agile development, and they call it intrapreneurship. And it's, you know, acting like an entrepreneur in a larger organization with highly self-motivated, proactive, and action-oriented people. So you have to make the right employees a member of this team, and you have to give them freedom. They have to be focused on the company process, but you have to leave them alone. They, they, need, uh, they need autonomy and independence, and the people that are doing this in a big way, like Coca-Cola, they realize that. They don't mess with them. They just let these kind of creative artists work on their own, and, and uh, that's what uh, Steve Jobs did when he first invented the Mac. He put a team in another office park across Palo Alto, and he left them alone so they could innovate the idea behind the Macintosh computer. The famous guy, Kamasaki, who's an entrepreneurial guru, he was on that team. And, um, there's a guy named Ramsey Haldemus, president of Nolda Technology, and he decided to do away with individual offices within three months of starting in 2014 and believed that an open office would lead to more sharing of ideas and add greater value to the organization. And he's come up with uh, a lot of products as a result of that open minded and freedom to create. Excellent. We just have a minute left before wrap-up. For those who have existing businesses that feel like they're floundering somewhat, would it be appropriate for them to kind of go back, almost go back to this startup stage in their thinking and use these templates to fill in some of the blanks that they may have missed to put the business on more solid footing? Absolutely. You can actually grow a business using the business model canvas. You get, you ask the right questions and you get the answers to things you, you never thought of and it takes you off in a different direction. So the answer is absolutely grow your business using the business model canvas to, you know, uh, increase your customer base and to create a new product and, you know, so that you're not, um, you have diversification. But the answer is yes. And I want to give out a couple of websites. One is steveblank.com. E-L-A-N-K. He's the guru of Lean Startup, and he's done an excellent job in sharing everything he's ever written or designed. Steve is now so far along that he's working at the National Science Foundation to teach it in medical schools and actually the Department of Defense. He's helping uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff strategize using Lean Startup, so it has lots of applications. The other side is my own, which is Clinton E. 
com, and on there I have all the publications we've discussed, plus some really simple explanations of entrepreneurship and lean startup. And I have my business chart on there, the original entrepreneurship quick study guide that's in the college bookstores in racks. That I wrote that, and that's on my site. So you can be linked into Amazon off my site for any of these publications, and they're really inexpensive. We've made them all ebooks so the students can get to them. Quinn, thank you so much for this conversation and these invaluable resources. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I hope that somewhere around the world, um, turning the page has reached a budding entrepreneur that will change the world in the near future. Thank you. Well, this is definitely an excellent resource. And I want to actually go over those three educational resources you mentioned really quickly as I'm wrapping up. One that Clint mentioned is a kind of cheat sheet called the Entrepreneurship Bar Chart, which offers tools and a roadmap for success all in six pages. Also, Clint's book, Understanding Lean Startup, Evidence-Based Entrepreneurship. And the third resource that Clint had mentioned is a book called Set Your Own Salary, which specifies the best methods to start and also lower the risk of a business venture. And again, as Clint mentioned, you can explore these resources, find out more about Clint, and also contact him for speaking engagements through his website, Clinton, C-L-I-N-T-O-N-E-D-A-Y.com. If you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to share them and email me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.